Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope. Well, good morning once again. That didn't sound like a good morning, if you ask me. Try it again. Good morning once again. There we go. There we go. Everybody's with us now. Hey, open your Bibles and um, mark with your ribbon or or, or however you're looking. We're gonna. Read uh, a chunk of scripture from Mark chapter 9 here in just a few moments. But go ahead, and then we're going to start maybe in the book of Ephesians. We're just going to look at a couple of things together this morning as we kind of set the stage for, for our lesson. Um, all-time greats, maybe, maybe for you an all-time favorite, but all-time classic movie, uh, Back to the Future. How many of you Back to the Future fans? Okay, so Stephanie, Sean, Stacy. Okay, you see, see a little more, a little more. You know, a few more people. So, so we got some fans. We got some fans. You know, Back to the Future is all about you know what happens if you go, if you start in the present and go back in time and change things in time. How it changes things in the future, which was also the present. And there was just this, you know, uh, this this big basically. Basically, Back to the Future is about uh, making scrambled eggs with time, right? That's, that's basically what Back to the Future is about. And so uh, well, one of the things that if you pay attention to science fiction and, and comedy movies like that, it makes you realize that, hey, you know, we, we live maybe in, in, a, in, in a different dimensions, if you will, that we all live in the present, but we've all lived in the past, and we're all going to live in the future, right? And so there is, there is uh, dimensions of time as you think about things like that. There's also dimensions of space. There's height and width and depth. Uh, for many years, uh, TV has been just a 2D experience, two dimension, just what's on your screen. But then uh, in, uh, in, with technology and stuff, now we have what kind of movies? 3D movies. Anybody big fans of 3D movies? Disney takes it a step further and they do 4D experiences. And if you go to Disney World, and I'm not sure if it's still there, but it was uh, at one point in time, because I went and saw it, but it was the Muppet Theater experience thing. And it was a 4D thing where you had on 3D glasses, but then they had different things under your chairs and stuff that, that would go and correspond with the things that were going on the screen. And I remember in one of the scenes, they dropped a box of mice, and they've got air blowers under your seat, and they make it feel like mice are running up under the chairs. And I remember... When we went and saw this thing, I remember hearing women scream starting in the front row, and it was just a wave of screams working all the way to the back because the, the experience was that you saw it, it came off the screen, and then you felt the effects of it, you know? And so it was just a real four-dimension, real-life experience. Uh, even though that it was fake, it still touched all the senses. Um, but when you think about our spiritual life, when we think about our spiritual life and we think about our life in general, so many times we like to live and think in the here and now, don't we? In the physical dimension, things that we can touch, things that we can feel, things that we can hear, things that approach our senses. And one of the things that I think we have to realize is in our life, we do not live just in 
a physical space, that as Christians, our lives are both physical and spiritual. We live in a physical realm, but we also live and operate in a spiritual realm as well. That is no greater kind of explained than in Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, in what we call the passage of the armor of God. And he, and he starts in this section, he says, finally, so he's written this big long letter, he's like, the last thing, the last bit of encouragement I want to give you, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against the physical things of this earth. All right? What he says, that's not where our struggle is. He says, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so today I want us to talk about this idea of living our life in the faith dimension, allowing our faith to be what propels us in life and pushes us. Because as we read earlier this morning already, Brighton read it for us from 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, even though that makes more sense to us sometimes, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that leads us into our text today. So go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to read, we're going to read what in our Bible many times looks like two different stories. But really and truly, it's the same thing, or it's the same moment of time, but you're looking at it at, at two different positions. There's, there's one thing happening over here, and at the same time, there's something else happening over here. Now, uh, to give you maybe a visual, uh, I will share with you this painting. This painting is by Raphael, the painter, not the Ninja Turtle. Um, and it is called, very simply, the Transfiguration. And this is his uh, artistic rendering of, of what this moment would have been like, but this maybe gives you a visual as we read the story, a visual of what's happening in this, in this time and space, but in two different locations. So let's start in chapter 9 and verse 2. He says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any one in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elisha or Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Now, this is just commentary. I think it's funny that they didn't know what to say, but in true Peter fashion, he found something, didn't he? In true Peter fashion, he found something. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had, raised, had risen from the dead. 
They kept this matter to themselves, discussing what raising from the dead meant, and they asked him, what do the teachers of the law, or why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Let's, let's stop right there. Even though these are two stories, let's talk about some things for a minute. Here, here is the first thing that I want you to think about in your faith dimension, and that is faith embraces a cycle of worship and work. Now, we're going to talk about the work side in just a second as we continue in this story. But faith embraces a cycle of worship and work. As you look at our picture, what's going on in our story in the text and the picture on the screen? What's going on here? They are on the mountaintop with Jesus as he transfigures or changes into um, the, the best way for me to put it is he is he is changed back into his godly form, okay? Into his spiritual godly form. He, he's no longer just flesh right there in front of them, but, but he's, he's transformed himself. And, and they're looking at him and they're seeing this. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. And these are two great, great people in their history, in their lineage, in their religion. And Peter, even though they're scared to death, even though they're scared to death, the first thing that pops into Peter's head, or at least the first thing that comes out of his mouth, is we need to worship them. He says we need to build two shelters, or some of your Bibles are going to say tabernacles. We need to build shelters or tabernacles, places of worship. We are on this mountaintop. We're in the presence of Jesus. We're in the presence of Moses. We're in the presence of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of their of their history, one of the greatest leaders of their history, and the Son of Man. And Peter says, I know what we've got to do, guys. We've got to worship. Now listen, in our life, worship is so important. Okay, Mountaintop experiences are so important. We need to have those moments in our lives where we are refilled and we are re-energized and, and we are able to just maybe put the world's struggles and thoughts aside for a few moments and we're able to just, to just worry about being in the presence of God. Maybe worry is not enjoy. Let's put it that way. We're just able to enjoy being in the presence of God. Now, you know, our, our Sundays and Wednesdays are supposed to be some of those shots in the arm. It should be a great experience. We should be encouraged when we leave here. But, but you know, I think when I think of true mountaintop experiences, as much as I would love for every time you hear me preach to be the mountaintop experience of your week, I know it's not going to always be that way. It may be from time to time. I don't know. But I know that I'm not that great and that grand. The reason I know that is because, you know, I loved hearing our preachers growing up. Sometimes the most uplifting thing was not a sermon. Sometimes the most uplifting thing was just getting away with friends on a retreat and just spending time together in the presence of God in a small group, singing together. Sometimes the greatest mountaintop experiences are visits to church members. You know, I was, I was able to uh, visit with Roger on Wednesday. And 
it never fails. It never fails. When, when I go into a room and in my mind I know, hey, it's my job to be an encourager in this moment, it never fails that I walk out probably a lot more encouraged than the encouraging that I did. And Wednesday was just that case, sitting with, with brother and sister Cagle and just, just listening to him talk, and, and he was um, cutting up a little bit. Mandy told me, she goes, be ready, he may be cranky. And he was the most happy guy that I had sat and talked to in a long time. And he may be cranky with Mandy, but he wasn't going to be that way with the preacher, I guess, you know. But I was just, I was encouraged. And, and I left that room knowing that God's presence had been there with us. And, and the Spirit of, of God had brought encouragement into that room. It was, even though it was, it was a challenging moment, it was a moment that I felt close to God. It was one of those mountaintop moments for my week. And we need those. We need those moments where we are filled up and where we are encouraged. We talked Wednesday night about that idea that being here, being together, is about encouragement as far as our relationships with one another that we should be encouraging each other. And so we need to have these worship mountaintop experiences where we truly feel the presence of God filling us up. But what's the next part of the cycle? Faith embraces a cycle of worship and what's the next word? Say it again. Work. All right, let's keep reading our story. So as these three guys are on top of the mountain, as these three guys are on top of the mountain, the other apostles are down there trying to do the work that, that they've been called to do. So verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. You know, that's kind of one of those parenting moments. Like, I left you alone for five, I left you alone for five minutes and look at the mess that you've created, okay? They come back down from this great experience and they walk into... Just big debate. Now, what's the debate over, okay? As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to meet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him, throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid, I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, now, I find it interesting here that Jesus, there's this boy on the ground basically having a seizure foaming at the mouth. And instead of healing him, what does Jesus start to do? He looks over at dad and starts having a conversation, almost as if he's ignoring what's going on in front of him. Okay? I lost my spot. How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. All right, two stories that are taking place in the same moment. You've got Jesus on the mountain with three of his most beloved apostles having this mountaintop experience. And while they're up there, you see in the picture, the rest of the apostles are down below the mountain trying to figure out how to heal this boy. They've done this a thousand times. Maybe not a thousand times. That's just one of our sayings, right? They knew that they had the ability to drive out a demon. They've done it before. This guy has shown up. This guy has shown up because he wants to serve. He, he, he wants these guys to save, to heal his son. He knows that he's heard about Jesus, okay? And so he's like, these guys have got to be able to do this. And it doesn't work. Nothing that they do works. And it turns into a big discussion, a big argument, a big debate of why it's not working. I'm sure the debate was amongst the, the nine apostles that were there, as well as the teachers of the law that had shown up. You've got one guy down here. I don't know who, which one he is. He's down here reading the book, trying to find out answers. You've got these other guys up here pointing at everybody, trying to figure out what's going on. You've got a spiritual high moment, and then you've got the struggles of the valley all at the same time. And that brings us back to our first spiritual truth, that our faith, the way we live, has to embrace a cycle of worship, of when we are on that mountaintop, but understanding that when we come off the mountaintop, God doesn't expect us to just sit there and do nothing until that next mountaintop experience happens. God doesn't expect us to show up to this building, go through the acts of worship, and then walk out and never practice our Christianity until we walk into the building again next week or Wednesday night or whenever that might be for you. He says, look, after your time of worship, after your time of being filled up, when you walk out those doors, get ready to work. Because there's things out there that I need you to do. There's moments out there that I need you to serve. There's going to be times where the doors open and you're going to be God's representative in that moment. And it's going to be time for you to take what has filled you up and pour that into someone else so that they can be healed, so they can be whole, so they can feel the love of Jesus and so that they can grow in their service to Him. So remember... That living in the faith dimension means embracing a cycle of worship and work, worship and work. And you have to have a balance of both of those to truly be living that balanced, faithful life. Let's keep going. Spiritual truth number two, faith engages in spiritual warfare. Now, we're not going to talk about this very long, but our Ephesians passage points us to this idea that we're in a battle. We're in the army. All right, put your armor on because you put armor, you put armor on to go into battle to do something. And I want you to know this morning that as a child of God, when you live out your faith, when you live out your faith, guess who puts a target on your back every time? Satan. Now, this is commentary here. I don't I don't know that this is 100% true or 100% not true, but I know this is how Satan works. In this story, 
Jesus, I think Jesus himself has a mountaintop experience. Because Jesus has separated himself from God. And there's two moments, this moment and when Jesus is baptized, that Jesus hears the Father's voice. And in both of those moments, he is saying, this is my son. First time he says, with who I am well pleased. Second time, this is my son. Do what he says. He, 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 he's up there with him. He's having this great spiritual moment. And as soon as he comes down, as soon as he comes down from the mountaintop, what's going on? Fighting and bickering. There is, there is confusion. There's, there's arguing. It, it's got Satan written all over it, right? It's got Satan. You are up here having a good time, God. Jesus, you are up here. You are having this mountaintop experience instead of being down here doing what you need to be doing. And since you weren't here, look at the problem that it caused. You got all this, all this stuff going on down here. I want you to know that after your mountaintop experiences, if you're really willing to show your faith and live your faith, that when you start living it, Satan's going to come after you. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised by it. But also understand that you've got the Spirit of God living in you. and he is, he's, he's already won the battle or won the war. Satan's trying to do some cleanup battles. He's trying to pull as many people out as he can. But the war has been won. You can overcome Satan. And you do that by living out your faith in every moment. Now, let's talk about the last truth. Faith expects God to do the impossible. Faith expects God to do the impossible. When, when, we, were, um, when we were working in Kingston, when we were interviewing in Kingston, uh, the, the, guy, the guy that was in charge of, of showing us around, and uh, I guess you could, David Albright, you did this for us, uh, but the guy that led us around Kingston, his name was Ken, and in one of the hallways was a picture of all the youth group kids. And he was going through telling us who they were and telling us about their families and different things. And he gets to this one family, this one couple, and he goes, this, this family right here, their mom doesn't come to church anymore. She'll never come back. And uh, Blair and I tend to enjoy people who go, so-and-so will never come back. We will never as a church be able to do this. And when you make those statements, you know what you're already admitting? Defeat. When you say there's no way that our church can grow, you're already admitting defeat. There's no way that we can do that. There's no way that this person will ever become a Christian. There's no way that X will fill in the blank will ever happen. But you see, we serve a God who has the, the reputation of taking our never will happen moments and turning them into moments that show nothing but His glory and nothing but His awesomeness. So in those moments, instead of saying there's no way that this can happen, we need to invite God into the equation because God makes it a habit of doing the impossible with the improbable. And this story is one of those moments. This guy has a child who is demon-possessed. He's been demon-possessed from the time that he was born. And he brings him to this, uh, these apostles. I've got this feeling, this is just Matthew, I've got this feeling that he expected it to be a good day. He was going to show up and have his son healed. And it didn't work. It didn't work. They were having one of those it can't happen moments. And then Jesus shows up. Then Jesus shows up and look at the conversation. Like I said, he just kind of ignores everything that's going on. How long has he been this way? From childhood. It has often thrown him in the fire, in verse 22, to kill him. 
But if you can, but, maybe you should underline these words in your Bible, but if you can do anything. I think we had a guy that went from, this is going to be a good day, to I'm not sure what's going to happen and if my son will ever be healed. But he looks at Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, that would be great. You know, I think sometimes we have those moments where we've been beat down, we've been beat down, we've been beat down in our faith. What we've tried to do isn't working. We have those Moses moments to where we try to do it our own way, and then we eventually just run away from it altogether when we know God wants us to serve, but our faith suffers, our faith, our faith struggles. And I love Jesus' response. If you can. Have you thought about that? I don't know... I don't know if Jesus is asking a rhetorical question of you're asking me if, if I can, if, if, if you can do anything, kind of like, oh, yeah, I can do something. Or if he's looking at this guy, because look at what he says. If you can, he said, everything is possible for one who believes. Almost like he's telling him, it's not me that's going to do it. It's you because of your faith. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Raise your hand if that describes you sometimes. I believe, God. I believe. But man, I'm struggling right now. I don't understand what's going on. It's a matter of fact. And partly this is why this, is why this text strikes me this week is... Is that, that was the conversation I had with Roger. He told me, he said, Matthew, he goes, I believe in God. I love God. I trust God. I just don't understand right now. I'm having a hard time grasping what God's doing. I think we all go through those moments where I know God's in control. I know God, God's plan is the best plan. I know that God's way is the best way. I know that God has blessed me for so long in so many different ways. But right here, right now in this moment, with what's going on around me, with COVID situation, with family situation, with sickness, with death, I'm looking at it and I'm going, God, I believe, but I'm struggling. I don't understand. And what strikes me about this guy is he had the willingness to look at God and say, this is just where I am. I believe you, Jesus, but I don't understand. Do whatever it takes to help me understand. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scenes, almost like he didn't want to do this in front of a bunch of people, he rebuked the impure spirit you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. But you notice the spirit didn't come out. Jesus didn't perform a miracle until what? Until the dad just admitted where he was and was just real with God. And sometimes in our own walks, that's what, that's what we need. The spiritual breakthrough comes when we're humble. When we get on our knees and say, God, I can't do this by myself. I have to. To have you. And that sentiment is even echoed through the rest of the story. As the apostles all get together with Jesus, they look at him and they go, Hey, Jesus, we've done this before. What was the deal here? Why could we not drive this evil spirit out? Why does he look at him? And he says, Because this spirit can only be driven out by what? 
prayer. Go back to our picture. All this stuff's going on, going on and happening down here under the bottom. And I show you this picture because it just gives you a visual to kind of put your mind with what's going on. you got all these guys that have followed Jesus. They've done all this stuff for a couple of years with Jesus. And you know what did not even enter their mind to do? Pray. Pray. They were going to do it all on their own. They were going to do it their own way. When really all they had to do was sit down and talk to God. And maybe in your own walk, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're just at that point to where, hey God, I'm struggling. I believe you. I trust you. And all that's left for you to do is the thing you should have done from the very beginning. And that's just hit your knees and talk to God. Pray to God. Pull him into the middle of the situation, make him the focal point of everything. And in those moments, I believe we find that strength. We find that peace that surpasses all understanding. We find understanding. We find healing. We find salvation. We find grace and mercy. We all can probably look at that picture and put ourselves in somebody's situation. We might be the guys on the mountain with Jesus. We might be the apostles trying to figure it out on our own. We might be the dad that's bringing our kid with the, the, the sick that we just need Jesus to do something. We all find a place. But every bit of it, every situation, can went back to a place of worship. And then worship leads us to a place of work. And work leads us back to worship and back to work. How are you living your life? Are you living it in a true faith dimension? Or are you just worried about what's in front of you? Don't worry about what you can see, but focus on what's unseen because those things are eternal. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the love and mercy that you show us, that you grant us with overflowingly every day. We thank you for the blessings. God, we also know that there's times that we just come to you and we, we just don't get it. We just don't understand. In, in our own minds, there's no way to comprehend your godliness. And we struggle. And help us in those times of struggle, God. Help us to just open our hearts to your spirit and allow it to convict us. Help us to bow humbly in prayer and invite you into the situation that we should have invited you into from the very beginning. God, be with our church family members that are struggling, that find themselves in the valley of life. Help them to fear no evil, to know that you are with them, that you guide them and you comfort them. Help us to be your arms of comfort and love. Help us to wrap them in your spirit. Be with us, God, as a church. Help us to keep our focus squarely on you through these challenging times. May we keep our eyes open for opportunities to serve. No matter where they may be, no matter how large or how small, let us be ready to go to work for you when you call. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, We'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. 
We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.